When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. You're you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to the show, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, coming to you with a jam-packed episode today as we talk about the Sunday afternoon recap of Week 13. That's right, the majority of the games are through, and we are almost all the way through the last regular season game of your fantasy football playoffs. Our fantasy football regular season on the way to your fantasy football playoffs starting this upcoming week in Week 14 how exciting it is. We have trucked along this crazy leech of a year called 2020, and we have actually gotten to the point where we've made it to the fantasy football playoffs. Remember when the season first started, a lot of people, including myself, were questioning, were we really going to get through an entire season? Were we really ever even going to make it to the fantasy playoffs? What were all these questions that we were fielding about what happens if we only get through Week six, week seven, what do we do then? How do you handle that as commissioners? These were all things that we talked about during the summer, and yet somehow, through all of it, through all the positive tests and all the postponements and all the schedule changes, we are here. It is week 13. Week 13 is almost over. We're getting to the fantasy playoffs. We are getting our full NFL season, and it's never been more welcomed than it has been this year, even though it's been different in almost every sense of the word. And I'm just appreciative that we've been able to make it to this point. But this is not where the season ends. This is where we have to recap these games, talk about what happened, and 
reset our fantasy expectations for these players as we move into the playoffs starting next week. And hopefully, if you've been a part of MD Nation, hopefully you've been able to make the playoffs in at least one of your leagues. Now, I know a lot of people are in multiple leagues out there. I'm in several leagues out there, and they're not all winners. And they're not always going to be winners because you're going to have different players that had different circumstances that have different luck. But hopefully, somewhere out there, if you've been part of MD Nation, we've been able to help you get into the playoffs in at least the majority of the leagues that you are in, or if you are in only one league, the league that you are in and care the most about. We kicked the show off today talking about the New Orleans Saints, the Atlanta Falcons. The Saints remain undefeated with Taysom Hill at the starting quarterback position, and he actually started to look more like a quarterback in this game. 27 of 37, that's by far the most pass attempts that he's had thus far. They felt comfortable with it. 232 yards and tacked on two passing touchdowns. His very first two passing touchdowns as an NFL quarterback, which I thought was shocking because he's been playing for a little while now. He hasn't started these games until these last three games now, but he's had opportunities to throw touchdown passes before. I thought that was kind of interesting. This is the first two that he's had. The one thing he didn't do this week, he didn't rush in for a touchdown. They didn't go to their goal line, Taysom Hill type of formation when they got in close. They let Hill throw it around. And he had some more success. And he looked like more of a guy that maybe could be their future after Drew Brees leaves. Who knows? But even though he didn't rush in for a touchdown, he still utilized his legs. 14, he ran 14 times for 83 yards in this one. Had a great quarterback game altogether. If you play Taysom Hill, we had him as a must-start. He came through in a big way overall. Now, there was talk before this game kicked off that Drew Brees, we all knew that Drew Brees could be eligible to come off the IR this week, but there was talk that Drew Brees is progressing well and could be back next week. I would lean towards just reading the tea leaves and given the circumstances that they have not lost the game, with Taysom Hill at the quarterback position, and making sure they want Drew Brees ready for the most important time of the year, which is a couple weeks from now in the playoff time. I would imagine that they may stick with Taysom Hill for at least one more week. I think there's a very good chance that we say Taysom Hill be the starting quarterback for week 14. Remember when this originally came out? We knew that he would be eligible off the IR this week, but the original report around Drew Brees was that they were hoping he would be able to return week 15 knowing that it would be a week after he was eligible to return. That's what they had in mind the entire time, week 15. I believe you're going to get one more game out of being able to stream Taysom Hill as a top 12 quarterback for your fantasy football purposes. They play the Philadelphia Eagles next week. Not a great matchup. Their defense has been able to play well, but not a matchup you're afraid of either. Taysom Hill using his legs will continue to be a streamer against the Philadelphia Eagles from now. Here is another welcome sight for people who own pieces of the Saints, especially Alvin Kamara owners. 15 carries for 88 yards and a touchdown in this game. Two catches for nine yards on three targets. I mean, that's that's the most he's done in the receiving game since Taysom Hill has taken over. But the most important factor here, and I forget who I was talking to. It was somebody on social media who was asking me about Alvin Kamara and what to expect. And they're asking me about you know, with him practicing in full and seemingly getting healthier from his toe injury, what did that really mean? And what I said is that it doesn't mean that he's going to get more involved in the passing game because they're just not playing that way with Taysom Hill where they're designing this offense to run around, being able to dump it off to the running back, and Taysom Hill is looking more down the field. 
more times than not when he's looking to throw the football to the outside wide receivers. So Alvin Kamara being involved in the pass game is not, just not something that's going to happen while Taysom Hill is a starting quarterback. But Alvin Kamara being healthier could lead to him out carrying Latavius Murray and actually being the lead running back. And that's exactly what happened here. Alvin Kamara, 15 carries, Latavius Murray is 5. And I talked about this too. A lot of people want to, want to fire Latavius Murray up at the B in the flex. No, 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 no. This is why, and there's going to be a couple of prime examples that we talk about throughout today's show. This is why you don't overreact to a certain player in a certain week. When they've been giving you a sample size for most of the season that goes in one direction, just because they suddenly have this one pop of game does not mean they completely changed our fantasy value moving forward. Latavius Murray is a great example of that. I have brought up last week during the preview shows on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network that Latavius Murray had only scored for the second game last week for the season. Now, for the most part, this has been a guy who's been getting double-digit carries, but only 50 to 60 yards, and that's it. He's not getting involved in the passing game either. He wasn't a flex play. He's still just a high-end handcuff if something were to happen to Alvin Kamara. And now we get to see in this game, Kamara not only broke a big run, but was more effective, was the lead running back. And I think a large part of that had to do with that, one, this game was stayed pretty close throughout, but two, Alvin Kamara is more healthy now, which should bode well. So will you have one more week of having to lean on Alvin Kamara being the lead runner and getting his statistics that way? Most likely. But it also means if you can make it to week 15, when I would expect Drew Brees to be back then, he'll be healthy and good to go when it comes to getting back his passing down role. That's the difference. So it was a good sight to see Alvin Kamara be healthy. It was a good sight to see that people are going to be able to have confidence utilizing him again. And to reiterate the point, that's why you always play your studs. You play Alvin Kamara. You do not bench an Alvin Kamara because I got a ton of those questions this week too. And I said, no, 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 no. You do not bench a guy like Alvin Kamara because on 15 touches, he can still give you one heck of a fantasy day. As far as the wide receivers go in this game, Michael Thomas, nine catches, 105 yards, 11 targets. I mean, if you're a Michael Thomas owner, you have to kind of dispute, do you really want Taysom Hill to stop being the starting quarterback? Because he's had his best game so far with him. Now, I'm not saying Drew Brees comes in, all of a sudden Michael Thomas can't go for 100 yards, because obviously that's not true. But just given how Drew Brees has played this year, he leans so much on Alvin Kamara that even when Michael Thomas has played, he still wasn't that utilized. He was getting worked in a little bit here and there. Now, part of that, of course, is that he's trying to work his way back from the injury when Drew Brees essentially went down. But just kind of making that little caveat tidbit, not that I really think Michael Thomas can't put up 100-yard performances, double-digit target performances when Drew Brees comes back. So it's just kind of funny that so far Thomas has had, of these last three games, he's had two of his best games of the year with Taysom Hill under center. Just kind of pointing that out. As far as everybody else goes, look, Traquan Smith, he got he got an end zone. He got a touchdown here. Jared Cook came back from the dead to get a touchdown here. But both guys, most likely, especially Jared Cook at this point, are on your bench. Manuel Sanders, five catches, 39 yards on six targets. There's one pass catcher. Well, I should say two when Drew Brees is back. But there's one wide receiving pass catcher that you can trust with New Orleans Saints. It's Michael Thomas. Everybody else is an afterthought. Everybody else is somebody who might get sprinkled in. And there might be one compliment piece who does something really well that game. But it's not something that's going to be consistent and you're going to be trusting. So it's Michael Thomas. It's Al Kamara. 
And it's whoever the quarterback is or the three players that you're looking at. We're not looking at Jared Cook. He's just, he, whether it's been Drew Brees or Taysom Hill, he's been very much an afterthought this entire season. With the emergence, or with the addition, I should say, not the emergence, but the addition of Emmanuel Sanders, it's just taken away the targets that were there for Jared Cook last season. And this Saints team, even with Drew Brees in the lineup, is not a pass-first team anymore. They are a balance to arguably even a run-first team at times. So there's just not that added volume that's getting out there for everybody to be able to get the targets on a consistent basis. Just not. So Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and then whoever the starting quarterback is for the Saints are what you're looking at from a fantasy perspective, especially as we move into your fantasy football playoffs. Let's flip it over to the Atlanta Falcons here. Where Julio Jones not only was able to go in this game, and I was a little bit surprised by that because I wasn't feeling very confident with a lot of the reports that came out of practice this past week that he was really going to be good to go, still found a way, and he clearly wasn't 100%, but he still found a way to have a good game. Six catches, 94 yards on 10 targets, only six yards away from 100 yards. He doesn't score, but Julio often doesn't score anyway, even when he's having a really good game. You were able to play him. This is why you play him when he's out there on the field, no matter what the situation is. Was I a little bit worried about the risk that could come with a Julio Jones and pulling it through halfway through this game? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. You always have to worry about that to some degree when it comes to Julio Jones. But I also recognize that this guy is Julio Jones. And even on one hamstring, can still have a heck of a game and still be you know, a very productive fantasy player in your lineup. And he was. Calvin really had a good game in this one. Five catches, 108 yards, 10 targets. You're just left a little bit disappointed that neither one of them were able to score because the one touchdown went to Russell Gage, somebody that we've pretty much moved off of completely from a fantasy perspective. Hayden Hurst, one catch, nine yards on four targets. That hurt. That hurt. Now, the Saints have been very good against the tight ends. We knew this wasn't going to be a great matchup for Hurst coming in. However, usually speaking, as long as Julio Jones is in the lineup, Hurst is still looking at five to seven targets. Now, technically, he had four, so it wasn't that far off the pace. But he wasn't getting, he didn't get his normal volume in this game that we typically see Hayden Hurst get. Which is sort of surprising when you realize how little the running game was a factor in this matchup, frankly, at all. Frankly, at all. Very, very, very little much, very little of a factor. Very little. Ito Smith, Todd Gurley, both had eight carries each in this game. Brian Hill, five carries. It was very obvious that of all the players that were not 100% going into this game, that Todd Gurley was not 100%. And probably Todd Gurley should not even have been active for this matchup. I know it was a big one against the Saints, and maybe that's why he tried to push it. But he had what little burst Gurley has had throughout this entire season was completely gone in this game. Completely gone in this game. Edo Smith was a better running back as far as him and Brian Hill goes for the second week in a row. To the point where I feel like, I mean... on the depth chart-wise, it's not the case, but the Atlanta Falcons, I'd have to think that Ito Smith is would have to usurp Brian Hill as the second running back at this point. Not only does he catch the ball better, but he's more elusive it, between the tackles. He just is. But neither here nor there. Look, as far as the backfield goes for Atlanta Falcons, if it's not Todd Gurley, I'm not touching it. Gurley, at least you know he has the touchdown potential, although now it's been a few weeks. And with him being banged up, who knows how long it might be now. 
with, with a few tough matchups at that, too. But Brian Hill, Edo Smith, if they're going to continue to be a carousel, there's not going to be a true handcuff there. Plus the fact that Atlanta Falcons don't throw the ball that much to their backfield to begin with this year, there's no reason for it. None. Matt Ryan was solid in this game. 273 yards, a touchdown. Honestly, I was pretty impressed with the offense overall considering how well this Saints defense has been playing. This is turning into a top seven defense in the league right now. And a really good one for your fantasy football purposes because they're getting turnovers and sacks left and right. So I was overall, I was impressed with that moving forward. The good news is, especially for your fantasy football playoffs, I would have confidence playing Julio Jones heading into next week. And you have him back when you need him the most. So let's move into the Cleveland Browns and Tennessee Titans, the shootout of the week. Unbelievably, look, we know this was going to be a back-and-forth game. We'd always see some decent scoring, some decent plays. But man, oh man, what a game this was. Because as much as the Cleveland Browns dominated the first half, which is essentially what won them the game, because they only scored three points in the second half, the Tennessee Titans came out and almost dominated as much in the second half. But it was a, it was really a fun game, and especially from a fantasy perspective. Because you have Nick Chubb, he came through for you. 80 yards on the ground, a touchdown. And he even tacked on one reception for 26 yards. I keep saying this over and over again. Nick Chubb can catch the ball. Now, is he as fluid of a route runner as a Kareem Hunt? No. No, he's not. But he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So this idea that he never gets involved there kind of drives me nuts to some degree. And he's explosive when he has the ball in his hands in space. So, But that's neither here nor there. As long as Kareem Hunt's healthy, that'll never be too much of a factor in this one. And speaking of Kareem Hunt, another disappointing performance here. He had 14 carries. He had the opportunities. 14 to Nick Chubb's 18. There wasn't a huge significant difference between the two there as far as that the carry share goes. Passing game, three targets, three catches, 24 yards. Kareem Hunt had 17 touches in this game. If you were to tell me before the game started that Kareem Hunt was going to get 17 touches against the Tennessee Titans, I would have told you that I feel very confident about my RB2 ranking of him heading into the week. But that didn't wind up coming to fruition. 33 yards on the ground. Like I said, 24 yards receiving. Mediocre. You still have to play Kareem Hunt. And if you're asking me why, I will tell you why. It's a good run game for the Cleveland Browns. He got 17 touches. 17 touches. You have starting running backs on other NFL teams where you're begging for 17 touches in a game. And if you don't believe me, talk to Jonathan Taylor owners. Maybe not this week. Talk to Jonathan Taylor owners throughout the season. Talk to Miles Sanders owners. Talk to a bunch of guys out there. All these guys that thought they had RB2s on their hands. Talk to Kenyon Drake owners for the majority of the season. Getting 17 touches is what you long for out of a running back. And especially a good rushing attack. Kareem Hunt will still finish as an RB2 more times than not. You cannot bench him. This is a guy who I want to make it very, very clear on because I can see already, especially going to the fantasy playoffs because he's had a bad streak the last couple of games, that people are going to sit there and overreact to the situation. He still belongs in your lineups, at least as a flex play. I'm not worried about it too much. Obviously, we got to get to the elephant in the room when it comes to Cleveland Browns, which is Baker Mayfield. 334 yards and four touchdowns. 
What a first half this guy had. What a first half this guy had. Probably one of the best halves, one of the best games of Baker Mayfield's career to this point. 25 of 33 with 334 yards and four touchdowns. Everything was wide open. Every time the Browns went to go play action in the first half, and they were more aggressive with the passing attack in the first half to lead off the game than they have been pretty much all season long. Whenever they've had Nick Chubb, they lead off with the running game and then oh, try to open up some of the passing game later. This time they kind of reversed the order, and you could tell it caught Tennessee Titans off guard to some degree. Rashad Higgins, six catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets. Before you ask me the question, on social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow, on Facebook and on Twitter, I'm going to give you the answer. No, you're not picking up Rashad Higgins. Not for your fantasy football playoff lineups. This one performance does not give me the confidence to go ahead and say, oh, you know what, Rashad Higgins might be a thing now. Pick him up. No. Donovan Peoples-Jones had a big 75-yard touchdown in this game. Everybody got involved. But the guy who actually is fantasy relevant, who you are going to contemplate having in your lineups, is Jarvis Landry. And here's what my analysis on Jarvis Landry is going to be moving forward. As long as there is not bad weather games that they're playing in, as long as they're playing in a game that's not going to have 40 to 50 mile an hour wins... You can play Jarvis Landry. That's pretty much that's pretty much a synopsis. I don't care who they're playing, as long as there's not going to be 50 mile an hour wins, you can play Jarvis Landry. Ten targets again in this game. He's going to continue to get double digit targets pretty regularly. Eight catches, 62 yards, had a touchdown. Should have had two touchdowns. Should have had two touchdowns. Dropped one in the end zone. But now we've had a few weeks in a row where Landry, one, looks a little bit more healthy at this point in the season than he did early on, but two, finally got away from Cleveland, got away from the bad weather, and the targets have turned into good production. That will continue. The volume will be there. Jarvis Landry will continue to be a wide receiver, two, Maybe a lower-end wide receiver, two, Maybe more of a floor play than a ceiling play, but will be a wide receiver, two, at the very least a high-end wide receiver, three. A guy who can be in your line, especially the fantasy football playoffs, based on what we're seeing right now. This Browns offense as a whole is just different with Nick Chubb in the fold. Slip over to the Tennessee Titans, who looked dead in the water in the first half and came to life, except for Derrick Henry. 15 carries, 60 yards. Pretty much what happened here is that, and I've talked about this in the past, no matter what the game script is, Derrick Henry always gets his touches. And 15 carries at the end of the day isn't something that I think you can get upset about. But in this game, this was the first time where it got to the point, especially when we got to the fourth quarter, where they just couldn't have Derrick Henry out there on the field. They had to throw the ball. They put Jeremy McNoles out there. More times than not. That's why he actually wound up with a touchdown on one of the drives there later on in the game. It was just a situation that they had to throw the football. It was the first time I seen them get into that where they were so far down that they couldn't stay committed to Derrick Henry even in the fourth quarter. It's the first time I've seen it all season long. 
and I don't. You have no reason to fret. Derrick Henry has one of the best guys throughout the fantasy football playoffs. So he got his last only average game of the year out of his system on the last week of the regular season. You're good now. You're good the rest of the way because Derrick Henry is going to single-handedly win people championships over the next three weeks. You know who else is going to win championships for people over the next three weeks? Ryan Tannehill. If you've been streaming quarterbacks and you were lucky enough to pick up Ryan Tannehill because people had given up on him and dropped him because he went through this hard stretch of the schedule, you're going to get rewarded with a quarterback that's going to have you right there and is going to win you some championships too. First of all, he had a great game in this one. Part of it, yes, due to game script. Ryan Tannehill throwing the ball 45 times is not something that's going to happen on a regular basis. However, we know Ryan Tannehill doesn't have to throw the ball 45 times for him to have really good fantasy performances. He didn't even run in this game, and it's usually something that he adds on to his fantasy value. But 389 yards and three touchdowns, as long as he has A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, he has weapons that he can lean on. And again, Derrick Henry isn't the only player who has a great schedule the rest of the way. The entire Tennessee Titans do. A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, who we'll talk about in a second. These are all guys that are potential championship winners because of the schedule that sets up with the way this offense can function, especially as it gets colder into the season. These guys are going to win people championships. Ryan Tan- Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the hill is going to win people championships. I talked about coming into this week, how he was going to be a top 10 quarterback for me the rest of the way, and that he would hover around the top five, because you have people like Russell Wilson, you have people like Kyler Murray, who had a little bit of a bounce back game today, we'll talk about that later, you have guys like Josh Allen as of late, these quarterbacks have simmered off from their hot starts, they're a little, they're a little bit of a slump, where Ryan Tannehill is getting out of his slump now and is about to catch fire. He's going to be able to compete with those type of quarterbacks for your fantasy football leagues. Maybe not the Patrick Mahomes. Maybe not the Aaron Rodgers. But those guys, the three to six guys, he's going to be right there with those guys the rest of the way. I can guarantee you that. A.J. Brown, four catches, 87 yards. He got a little nicked up in this game early on. It was good to see him be able to get back out there. They wrapped up his ankle. So in some ways, I almost looked at it as good news. Not just Obviously, it was good news that he was able to come back out onto the field, but I also looked at it as kind of good news that it wasn't his knee. Because whenever it's his knee, you just, you just don't know. When he missed that big chunk in the beginning of the year, you know it's something that still kind of hindered him. He's been a little bit nicked up as it is. 
I was kind of happier to see that it was his ankle, not his knee, and that, most importantly, he was able to come back into the game, finish the game, and play the rest of the game pretty strongly to the point where I don't worry about A.J. Brown being available come next week. He'll do his normal schedule. Or he'll miss Thursday's practice. He'll practice on Wednesday a little bit. He'll practice in full on Friday. He'll be good to go come Sunday. That's why at Belly Up MDFF show on Twitter, we do the player news update notifications. I don't even bother updating the fact that AJ Brown wasn't spotted at practice on Thursday when you get those updates from other sources because I'm like, yeah, no crap. AJ Brown's not going to practice on a Thursday for the rest of the season. It's not news anymore. That's why I don't even bother posting it. Corey Davis, 11 catches, 182 yards, and a touchdown on 12 targets. You want to talk about efficiency? 11 catches on 12 targets for almost 200 yards? Corey Davis, we talk about Derrick Henry and Ron Tannehill and A.J. Brown. These guys will be potential championship winners for people. And obviously, Corey Davis being on the same team has that same great schedule. But the big factor... The big factor for Corey Davis is the fact that this is a guy who's really more of a wide receiver three who's about to turn into a high-end wide receiver two the rest of the way. He's had a very good season up until this point, but when you look at the schedule the rest of the way, there are no games in which Corey Davis is going to have a bad game. That high floor that he's been able to establish on a nearly consistent basis this season, there has been some games where he's completely fallen away, but that should be there. He's going to have a high floor at the very least the rest of the season. Because they're not playing any matchups where they might take away a Corey Davis, where they have to lean on an A.J. Brown. They have to get singularly focused. They're playing against a good secondary. They don't have any more good secondaries on their lineups, on, on their schedule. They don't. In fact, the Tennessee Titans as a football team probably shouldn't lose a game the rest of the way, frankly. But Corey Davis is going to be an X factor for people down the stretch here. And played great in this game. Let's get into our next matchup. The Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans. Colts holding on to win this one, 26-20. I want to start off with the Houston side of the ball because I want to talk, I want to talk about Deshaun Watson. No Will Fuller in this game. A lot of talk about how he just doesn't play the same without Will Fuller, especially without DeAndre Hopkins as well. But there's a significant drop-off even with Hopkins on, when he was on the field when they didn't have Will Fuller out there. Didn't think Houston had a big chance here. Underdogs at home. And Watson really played his heart out. And for fantasy football purposes, if you are worried about what is Watson going to give you in a tough matchup with no Will Fuller, you're looking at the fantasy playoffs. Are you going to be able to trust this guy to be a top 10 quarterback for you? You have to lean on him. You have to. Came through. 341 yards. Didn't have a passing touchdown, but did have a rushing touchdown with 38 rushing yards. Had the one turnover. But more importantly, it's the way he played. He spread the ball out to everyone. Especially Kiki Kuti. Eight catches, 141 yards on nine targets. Chad Hansen. Who? Yeah, Chad Hansen. Five catches, 100 yards on seven targets. The one guy who you probably did play, Brandon Cooks, didn't have the big stat line. Five catches, 65 yards on eight targets. Had the second most targets. The targets were there. The eight targets were there. But eight targets really isn't anything different than what he was seeing when Will Fuller was on the field too. 
The Texans did something that I was a little bit concerned about when it came to Brandon Cooks and this idea that he was going to be, number one, the featured guy, but number two, would have to get leaned on more heavily. They had him play the Will Fuller role. Brandon Cooks had been starting to get chemistry, had started to be playing better, be more involved in the offense. When Randall Cobb went out or started to get subsided, and he took over as more of the slot wide receiver within the offense. That's why Brandon Cooks is suddenly emerged back into fantasy relevancy. If he's going to play the Will Fuller role, well, will a deep threat be there? Will a deep ball be there? Will they take shots to him? Sure. Will he still get probably around eight targets a game the rest of the way? Sure. But he's not going to get featured the same way. He's not going to be put in position to get off the line of scrimmage as easily because he's not going to be in the slot as much. Because the problem is that Kiki Kuti can only play one position as a wide receiver. He's not a perimeter guy. He can't do it. He can't get off the line. He's never been a good perimeter guy. But he can be a decent slot receiver. Which is going to take away the ability to rotate Cooks in and out of there. And he had eight catches for 141 yards on nine targets playing that role in this offense. Will Kuti be somebody that's going to be on the waiver wire report? Yeah, I'll spoil it for you. Tomorrow's waiver wire report, when we're talking about the Sunday night recap, we're talking about the two Monday night recap games. Yeah, he's going to be on the waiver wire report. 100%. He had a 141-yard performance. And the Chad Hansen thing, we can crumple that in the ball, throw that out. Brandon Cooks, Key Kuti, they're going to get the majority of these targets. They are going to be a pass-first team the rest of the way. Because they haven't been a run-first team all season long. David Johnson returns to the lineup, he gets a touchdown, but 10 carries for 44 yards. Duke Johnson, apparently it takes Duke Johnson being the backup running back to actually get involved in the passing game at a higher clip. Six catches, 24 yards, and six targets. But David Johnson himself, two targets, no catches. Houston Texans, especially from a running back standpoint, don't have a good schedule the rest of the way. They don't. Not until week 16, I believe it is. So that's that's the tough part there. But most importantly, better games are ahead for Brandon Cooks, but Key Kute is going to be a thing. You continue to have to play David Johnson as an RB2, but most of all, Deshaun Watson, QB1. He can still be a QB1. And he showed you why. On the Indianapolis Colts side of the ball, Jonathan Taylor had a very good fantasy game. Now, most of it came on the back of a 39-yard touchdown reception, but you'll take it however you can get it when it comes to Jonathan Taylor because you're going to play him in this game. You're gonna, you weren't, you weren't going to sit Jonathan Taylor, even though the, the volume has been maddening, you weren't going to sit him against Houston, especially coming out of a game where before he had a miss last week, he had 20 carries that game. You wanted to see, would you be the bell cow again? And he was the majority ball carrier. I wouldn't call him a bell cow, though. He still only wound up with 13 carries in a game in which the Colts pretty much led the entire game. 13 carries for 91 yards. He was very good. He was very efficient. He was much more effective in this game than he has been in others. But he still had to go with Jordan Wilkins for five carries in this game, only 12 yards. He still get Naeem Hines with six carries for 10 yards. Actually had a touchdown in the goal line. That's annoying. Hines, three catches, 22 yards. Wilkins had two catches for six yards. There's just, there's still this role where they're going to hang around. They're going to take away touches. And not that we want to take away Jonathan Taylor's big play here, but he take that away, and you're looking at a guy who got 15 touches against Houston. How much opportunity he gets, I think, is still very much in question. 
and that that's the unfortunate factor is that you're going to have pretty much a Jekyll and Hyde piece going into your fantasy football lineups, where if the matchup is there, you're not going to be able to bench them. You're not going to have a much better option. But there's always going to be this low floor when it comes to Jonathan Taylor because it does seem like that three-man rotation not only is still in place, but could be a hot hand approach at any given minute. Here's something we do have to talk about a little bit. T.Y. Hilton. He scored last week. This game has his best game of the year. Eight catches, 110 yards, a touchdown on 11 targets. More of a T.Y. Hilton type of production line, stat line. Michael Pittman who had been trending towards being maybe the number one pass catcher of the Indianapolis Colts, the one people were starting to key in on for fantasy football purposes. Five catches, 46 yards on five targets. It's two weeks in a row now where Hilton's been the number one targeted guy. We've gone all season with Hilton essentially being on the waiver wire, and nobody, nobody's really been missing him. I'm not going to sit here and tell you to trust Philip Rivers either. You would have to be in a position where you lose somebody due to injury, or whatever the case may be, that you would need to go ahead and pick up a T.Y. Hilton. I know the last two weeks have looked good. This week looked great. Houston's secondary will make a lot of things that aren't really there seem like they are because of how bad that they are. And while it's two weeks in a row now that T.Y. Hilton has suddenly looked more like himself, Philip Rivers has been going to him a little bit more now, and it's not just they're lining him up on the outside and having him run goes. They're actually kind of trying to spread the ball out a little bit. The issue is you can't trust Phillip Rivers or this Colts passing attack or who's going to be involved on a week-to-week basis. If this was in the middle of the regular season, then we would be talking about picking up T.Y. Hilton and talking about him possibly returning to fantasy relevancy. Because we're in the fantasy playoffs, this isn't time to screw around. This isn't time to get cute. And I'm not about to get cute with a Colts pass catcher. So that's my advice there. Let's move on to a game that we're not going to spend too much time on. The Miami Dolphins and Cincinnati Bengals. This was a weird game. It's an ugly game. It was a brutal game. You would have thought these guys were two divisional rivals, the way they played against each other in this matchup. Brandon Allen got knocked out in this game at one point, 11 for 19. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 153 yards, a touchdown. Ryan Finley had to come in, went 6 of 7 for 40 yards, zero touchdowns, a pick. Tyler Boyd, a lot of people got ejected in this game. Tyler Boyd got ejected in this game. Now, I will say the good news is, even though Tyler Boyd got ejected really early on, at least before he left, he had the decency to give his fantasy owners a 72-yard touchdown before he got himself ejected. At least he had the decency to do that. So he still gave you an oh, he still gave you a good fantasy performance. But yeah, he got himself ejected early on. And you know what? The ejection, when you go back and watch it, if you didn't if you didn't already see it, it's tit tat. It didn't seem like it was worthy enough to be an ejection. And it wasn't just him. Xavier Howard, the cornerback for the Miami Dolphins, also got ejected in the game as well. It just it it didn't really seem ejectable enough unless they said something or did something to the refs that we didn't quite see on the camera action. 
in his stead, other people you're looking for, okay, where would the targets go? T. Higgins was one, five catches, 56 yards on seven targets. The other one actually wound up being Drew Sample. Seven catches, 49 yards, seven targets. Here's my deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd will continue to be wide receiver threes. We've got to see what this injury with Brandon Allen is, though, because that's going to affect these receivers in different ways. If it's Ryan Finley the rest of the way, or next week, whatever, Tyler Boyd will get a little bit more of a bump up because there's going to be a lot more targets heading his way because Ryan Finley's going to be the guy, he's either going to target his slot receiver in the middle of the field or he's going to target the running back coming out of the backfield, maybe the tight end. Kind of similar to like a Colt McCoy, kind of similar to what Sam Darnold and Adam Gase's offense surrounds around, kind of that mold where T. Higgins will kind of get left out to dry because Ryan Finley's not pushing that ball down the field. If it's Brandon Allen, then T. Higgins can continue to be a wide receiver three and will probably continue to rank Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins right next to each other as wide receiver threes. So we got to wait and see exactly what happens with Brandon Allen. Let's talk about the running backs, if we have to. Giovanni Bernard, 12 carries, 30 yards, two catches for negative one yards on two targets in a game in which they were trailing pretty much the entirety of the game, or at least the entirety of the second half anyway. And a game where Ryan Finley came in, and he still couldn't get more than two targets. Giovanni Bernard's value hinges on being involved in the passing game. That's it. If there's not going to be one, then he has no floor. And I don't care that he's the starter for Joe Mixon. At this point, other than the first two weeks where he scored a touchdown spelling in for Joe Mixon, at this point, I don't know how you roll out Giovanni Bernard in your lineups if Joe Mixon does not return next week. Now, a little bit of news on that. Joe Mixon... Zach Taylor talked about it a little bit today. Not that we get a lot of clarity out of Zach Taylor because we have to take away everything he says with a grain of salt, but he did want to make the point at least that if Joe Mixon is healthy enough to play, he will play. Mostly just trying to say that they're not looking to shut Joe Mixon down for the rest of the season if they do not have to. And Mixon doesn't want that either. That's that's been pretty clear in the reports as well that Mixon wants to come back and play this year. He is eligible to return off the IR this week. When he first got put on the IR, the reports from inside were that the idea was that when he was eligible to return in week 14, he would be able to come back and do so. We will see what happens. Wednesday is the day that we'll know a lot more about the situation. But if you're a Joe Mixon owner, I just don't get your hopes up too much yet. There's a possibility he comes back, but there's a real possibility that he doesn't. Because we still just don't know enough about the situation because they've left us in the dark this entire time. But maybe Joe Mixon's back. Unless Joe Mixon returns, though, I'm not touching a Cincinnati Bengal running back in my fantasy football lineups. Period. Just not. Let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. Tua Tagovailoa comes back, gets a start, plays a solid game. And you know what? I was very impressed with him in the second half. First half was very game manager, trying to play conservative, trying not to make a mistake. Like we've seen out of Tua since pretty much he's taken over for Ryan Fitzpatrick with the Miami Dolphins. In the second half, I don't know what changed. I don't know if the coaches finally pulled him aside and said, you know what, go out there and actually make some plays. I don't know if that was the mindset or not. But something changed. Where suddenly, Tua actually looked to throw the ball down the field. He was actually looking to be aggressive. And unfortunately for Devontae Parker owners, he wasn't aggressive with Parker, but Jakeem Grant, he hit, he hit him on a couple big plays. Mike Isicki was the big pass catcher on the day. Nine catches, 88 yards, a touchdown on 11 targets. 
He's come to life now the past couple of weeks. Been looking for tight ends to stream. He's a guy that you kind of you can't ignore. Against Cincinnati Bengals, one of the best matches for tight ends to begin with. So he was already a guy in the streaming territory that we talked about heading into this week. But you can't ignore it. Devontae Parker with two attack of Lavoa, even though the targets are there, he had eight targets in this game, is a touchdown dependent wide receiver three when two is in the lineup. He can be a high-end wide receiver two to a wide receiver one if it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, because Ryan Fitzpatrick will hit him on the perimeter between the 20s. Parker gets targeted a lot by Tua when they get in the red zone, so he does have the touchdown possibility. However, however, he doesn't do a lot between the 20s. He doesn't put him in situations to go up and get the ball and actually get some actual yardage. Four catches, 35 yards. It's becoming a very similar stat line for Devontae Parker over and over and over and over again with Tua Tagovailoa at starting quarterback position. So if you're playing Parker, you're playing him because you feel good about his chances in that given matchup to score a touchdown. Otherwise, he doesn't have a floor that you should be sinking your teeth into going into the fantasy playoffs. Not unless Ryan Fitzpatrick has to take back over for whatever reason. Miles Gaskin... Had to be the big story of the day for the Miami Dolphins. 21 carries, 90 yards. Also tacked on two catches for 51 yards in this game. Now, Savant Ahmed was not active. I still believe that when Ahmed is active, they will have this be some sort of committee. Miles Gaston is just not built to be a bell cow back every single week. He's just not. It's not the body type that he is. So I expect it to be some kind of committee if and when he returns which should be closer rather than further away. We'll see exactly what happens next week. But in the meantime, while Miles Gaskin is the main active running back, you can continue to play him as a low-end to mid-level RB2 like you were previously before he left due to injury. And he looked good in this game. He looked healthy. He Physically, he looked great. So in these good matchups here, you can play Miles Gaskin with some confidence. Let's move on to the Raiders and the Jets. The Jets finding a way, yet again, to grab defeat from the jaws of victory. Only the Jets, only the Jets could have blown this game. Only the Jets. Only the Jets, on back-to-back plays, when the opposing team needs a touchdown can't settle for a field goal, has to get a touchdown, allows a wide receiver to beat them deep on back-to-back plays. The first play being Nelson Aguilar. And had Derek Carr been accurate, it would have been Nelson Aguilar who scored the game-winning touchdown because he beat the corner deep. Henry Ruggs did it on the very next play. And Derek Carr actually hit him in stride for the touchdown. And that's what won the game. It was unbelievable. What defense, this is, this is what I have to ask, what defense was Greg Williams in? You are, I want to believe, I, I, I want to say it was 40, 40 yards away? 46 yards away. It was a 46-yard touchdown. You're 46 yards away. There's 13 seconds left in the game. Why on God's green earth are you playing a defense that is calling for your guys, your corners, your two outside corners to play man-to-man with no safety over-the-top help 
on the side of the field where the fastest man on the field is playing in Henry Ruggs. Nobody on the field is faster than Henry Ruggs running out of 4-2 on that field between the New York Jets and the Las Vegas Raiders. How do you call a defense where he's that corner is not getting safety over-the-top help when you know they have to score a touchdown 46 yards away with 13 seconds left? How does that happen? How does that happen? It's mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Now, of course, from a fantasy standpoint, it was awesome if you listened to me and streamed Derek Carr. Derek Carr was still a top <coughs> excuse me, he was still a top twelve quarterback heading into that game for me. And again, we talked about, you know, earlier in the game we talked about the Saints and we talked about examples of not overreacting from one week to another. After last week, when Derek Carr had a very disappointing performance against the Atlanta Falcons, the number one thing that I heard the entire fantasy industry say between analysts and players alike was unanimous pretty much across the board, which is it doesn't matter Derek Carr's having statistically a very good season and that has been fantasy relevant in some of the weeks past because he did not do well against the Atlanta Falcons. He continues to be somebody that you just can't trust to stream in matchups that you would want to stream him in. While that's not completely wrong, because that has proven out over Derek Carr's career at times, I also explained to you guys, but rarely does a quarterback who has been playing well, who has weapons, and two good matchups back-to-back actually underperform back-to-back. Meaning, Derek Carr is still a streaming option for this show coming in. A prime example of not overreacting from one game to another. You take your data, you take your analysis... You have a new expectation, yes, moving forward, but it's not drastically different from the previous expectation before the game. And if you had that, if you listen to that, and you're looking to stream quarterbacks, and you stuck with Derek Carr, you got a big payday. 381 yards and three touchdowns, one pick. They couldn't run the ball in this game. Now, besides Derek Carr, obviously, the other big fantasy guy on the day was Darren Waller. 13 catches, 200 yards, and two touchdowns. You want to talk about having an advantage at a position, given the way the tight ends have played this season? To get a guy who just went for 13 catches, especially if you're in PPR leagues, 200 yards and two touchdowns, Darren Waller single-handedly won a lot of people a lot of matchups. In fact, I think I think it'd be very hard-pressed to find a, a league, a lineup, that did not win with Darren Waller giving that kind of production from the tight end position especially given the rest of these tight ends. Now, we're recording this Sunday night while the Sunday night game is going on. Travis Kelsey's having himself a day right now. That's part. That's one of the games that we'll recap in tomorrow's show, which you'll be listening to on Tuesday. We do this, so you have this show out to you guys early Monday. But Darren Waller's still going to be him out. He's going to be the tight end one. It's insane. It's insane that he had that great of a day. But it's also insane to me from this standpoint. Darren Waller is kind of Jekyll and Hyde. Because while he'll have these huge performances, and while he is, at the end of the day, the number one pass catcher that you want from the Raiders, he still has these games where he goes like 3 for 30 for for no inexplicable reason. And I guess that's kind of the Raiders' offense in general this year, where they just, they have these guys who are very good, they have these performances, and then they just have these couple games here and there where they just kind of disappear on you. We know we had no Josh Jacobs in this game, Devontae Booker came in instead, and frankly, he wasn't very efficient. 16 carries, 50 yards. The big disappointment for me was that 
they didn't utilize him in the passing game. They had been utilizing Booker in the passing game as he's been, you know, complimenting Josh Jacobs over the past few weeks. He had two targets. Now, it wasn't that he was usurped by Jalen Richard in that department because Jalen Richard only had one target. Theo Riddick only had one target. It was just a game in which everything got ate up by Darren Waller. And target-wise, while it didn't come to fruition, and I'm disappointed by this because I had him ranked as a wide receiver too, target-wise, the opportunities were there for Nelson Aguilar. He had 11 targets in this game. They were looking for Nelson Aguilar in this game. But he only wound up with a four-catch, 38-yard performance. And like I said in the opener to, to the analysis of this particular matchup, had Derek Carr actually hit him when he was wide open, he would have had that 46-yard game-winning touchdown that Henry Ruggs wound up having on the very next play. and would have had a much better stat line to result in this. But the opportunities were there. He's still, in my mind, the number one wide receiver, not pass catcher because that's Darren Waller, but number one wide receiver for the Raiders. And somebody you can kind of take a shot with here and there, depending upon what you have available to you. Nothing else to really recap outside of that. We do think that Josh Jacobs has a very good chance to come back and play next week, and will. As far as the New York Jets side of the ball, I guess, legally speaking, we have to talk about them, right? I'll lead it off with this. Jameis Crowder getting back on track as far as being the number one pass catcher, the guy, and the reason why he's the guy that I will continue to trust as long as Sam Darnold and Adam Gase are there for the New York Jets. Seven targets in this game, hands down the number one target, two touchdowns, five catches, 47 yards. I know he had been on a cold street leading into this game. I know Sam Darnold lately had been showing some determination and throwing the ball to the outside wide receivers and downfield a little bit more. At the end of the day, if you're going to play a wide receiver of the New York Jets, if his name is not Jameson Crowder, I'm not going to bother. Plain and simple. And even in Crowder's situation, he's still more of a low-end wide receiver three that you're playing for a floor basis. But this game shows you why. This game shows you why I still value him over a Denzel Mims, over a Prashad Perryman. Frank Gore goes down due to concussion very early on in this game, right as soon as he got his first carry. Ty Johnson came in. Ty Johnson had a great game. 22 carries, 104 yards, and a touchdown, tacked on two receptions for 13 yards. He had a great game. Even Josh Adams, who came in as the second running back to spell Ty Johnson, had eight carries for 74 yards. Pretty much everybody had a better game in that backfield than Frank Gore would have had he gotten 17 touches in this game. Let's be honest. Now, that doesn't mean that if Frank Gore is not good to go next week, that he won't again be the starter. And it doesn't mean that I'm suddenly going to want to pick up Ty Johnson and play him next week. Will he be on the waiver wire report? Probably. Will he be a priority pickup? No. The Raiders are a terrible run defense. And this is the note that really, from a fantasy football perspective, you need to take with you moving forward. If the Raiders do not have Jonathan Abram in their defensive lineup, their safety, in case you didn't know, play any running back that you have available to you against the Raiders because they go from being a below-average run defense to a horrendous run defense when they're missing Abram. And everybody can run on them in that situation. Everybody. So just that's your fantasy tidbit for you moving forward, more so than is there a running back in the Jets' backfield that's now suddenly going to be valuable for me in these fantasy playoff uh, times. 
Let's move on. Let's talk about the Jaguars and the Minnesota Vikings. We'll start on the Jaguars side of the ball because there's a lot actually to break down on the Minnesota Vikings side. Mike Lennon, they already came out and said he will be the starting quarterback next week for week 14. He actually did not hit DJ Chark the way I was hoping he would. Now, he was the most targeted receiver with seven, but he still spread it out. I mean, James Robinson coming out of the backfield had six. Uh, James O'Shaughnessy, the tight end, had six. Tyler Eifert had six. Uh, Colin Johnson, who was the big man from last week's game, he had six targets in this game. LaVisca Chenault did get banged up at one point in this one. He did have the touchdown, actually, the the crazy ricochet touchdown. Uh, But he got a little bit banged up. That was that's what allowed Colin Johnson to really come back into the game. And I kind of hope for the Jaguars' sake that they allow Colin Johnson to continue being the other starting perimeter wide receiver the opposite side of DJ Chark. First of all, this is a guy that I thought had a lot of talent coming out of college, and I thought it was crazy that he got drafted as low as he did. But two, I think he complements DJ Chark and what eventually having LaVisca Chenault for this team. Now, unfortunately for them, the Jets just find new and exciting ways to lose games. But if the Jaguars would wind up with Trevor Lawrence, and you're giving him weapons, these, these explosive weapons, like a DJ Chark and a LaVisca Chenault and a Colin Johnson, you might be looking at one of the best young nucleus offenses moving forward. I mean, that, that's, that's the point. They're a quarterback away. And a little bit more development from their wide receivers from having a very explosive offense. Very explosive. But as far as the here and the now goes, DJ Chark getting two catches, 41 yards, very, very disappointing. But with Mike Glennon as the quarterback, the big play is still more of a possibility than it has been so far this season. So will Chark still continue to be a boom or bust wide receiver three in my mind? Yes. Yes, he will. The targets were still there at this game. It just didn't work out that way. James Robinson obviously continues to be a must-start. 18 carries, 78 yards, a touchdown. I talked about how he had six targets, six catches, 30 yards in the passing game. There's no questions there. Outside of that, everything is kind of hit or miss. Everything is kind of an even share. I'm going to keep my eye on Colin Johnson. Not necessarily looking to play him this year in a redraft league, but I'm going to keep my eye on him to see if this trend continues and somebody that I want to put on my radar possibly for next season if he continues to be the starter because they're going to move on from Chris Conley. They're going to move on from Keelan Cole. It should be Johnson, Chenault, and Chark as their three receivers moving forward. And I'm just going to kind of keep my eye on that as I'm scouting for next year, but not for this season. So let's move over to Minnesota. <laughs> let's talk about Dalvin Cook and the I, – I, I'm, I'm guilty of it too – a lot of people putting the out in the air that it's possible that out of you know out after what Mike Zimmer said earlier on the week, after he got banged up a little bit in week twelve, that we were a little bit worried that maybe there could be a little bit of a limit on Dalvin Cook's ceiling because we might see his touches be limited to some degree if they were to truly limit him or give him some rest as they were saying that they wanted to do. This week. I mean, that's literally what Mike Zimmer said. He said he wanted to try to give him some rest because he's a little bit beat up earlier this week. Now, I know Alexander Madison, who wound up not being able to play in this game because he came down with a non-COVID illness, and they wound up eventually just ruling him out, probably thwarted those plans to some degree because maybe we would have seen Dalvin Cook had a few less touches. 
But it probably, but after actually watching this game, and part of it, yes, they went to overtime. Part of it was that it was a tougher game than maybe people were expecting. Maybe Minnesota was even expecting, as it was twenty seven twenty four at the end. But Dalvin Cook still wound up with thirty two carries. <laughs> and frankly, when you think about it, and and uh, sorry, I didn't even mention this, and six receptions. Dalvin Cook had thirty eight touches in this game, and when you really think about it. The fact that he had 38 touches against the Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't, I don't, I can't help but feel, and I have Dalvin Cook in, in one of my many leagues, I can't help but feel a little disappointed with the overall production. You give me a guy like Dalvin Cook, 38 touches against the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm expecting well over 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns. He had 120 yards on the ground, he had 59 yards receiving, almost 180 yard performance. Obviously, you're not going to complain about that at the end of the day. But you know what? I was actually left feeling a little disappointed. A little disappointed that he had that many touches and it only yielded 180 yards from scrimmage. Because that's just the expectation that we have with Dalvin Cook right now when it comes to these plus matchups. If he's going to get a certain amount of touches, we expect huge league-winning games. So on one hand, the good news is that Dalvin Cook is definitely healthy. On the other hand, I do wonder, after having 38 touches in this game, if Alexander Madison's back next week, and we expect that he would be, would they do what maybe they were planning to do this week, which is maybe limit Dalvin Cook to, say, 16, 18 touches, and do it next week in the first round of your playoffs? Now, we got proven wrong this week, but I do wonder if Madison's back there, if that's not a possibility 38 touches is a lot for any running back, especially one not named Derrick Henry. And it just kind of gets me wondering a little bit. He wasn't very efficient. I mean, only 3.8 yards a carry. As far as efficiency goes, is one of his worst games. Still not going to complain about the performance at the end of the day. Kirk Cousins had another 300-yard performance, three-touchdown performance. He continues to be on the tear. He continues to be a guy that you can stream in these plus matchups with some confidence because they are allowing him to be aggressive. Threw the ball 43 times in this game. Yes, some of it was due to game script, but you know what? The Minnesota Vikings aren't good enough to blow out teams anyway. They're going to be in these close kind of games. And if you look at it this way, Dalvin Cook was able to run the ball 32 times and Kirk Cousins was still able to throw the ball 43 times in this matchup. So everyone was able to get their touches. Justin Jefferson was able to benefit as a result. Nine catches, 121 yards, a touchdown, 12 targets. While Adam Thielen had eight catches for 75 yards and a touchdown on 11 targets on his return. Everybody who's fantasy relevant, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, obviously, you know, the three skill players are all must plays. But Kirk Cousins is somebody who's going to be right there around that top 12 the rest of the way. Let's move on to the Lions and Bears. The Lions continuing the trend of a team being able to win the week after they fire their head coach. And the Bears continuing the trend of finding new and exciting ways of shooting themselves in the foot when they have what looks to be all but certain of a victory at the end of the game. (laughs) Let's talk about this first. Before we get into the Detroit Lions side of things with Matt Patricia and how they looked without him and everything like that. The Chicago Bears defense, I don't know. Is there a little concern there? They didn't play well against the Packers. And while there was some key turnovers in this game, one specific fumble by Mitchell Trubisky that led to the game-winning touchdown of the Detroit Lions, 
The Lions putting up 34 points in general on what had been a top-notch defense for most of the season until the past two weeks shouldn't have happened in the first place when you have no Kenny Galladay and no DeAndre Swift. And I, I bring this up because a lot of people who play in leagues with defenses, the Bears' defense is a defense you've kind of been counting on for the most part. So it's just kind of an interesting little tidbit. You know, I know they're a little bit banged up. Cleo Mack, maybe he's not 100%. Maybe Akeem Hicks isn't 100%. But you have to kind of question now a little bit with the Chicago Bears defense. Are they still a defense that can stop people and get turnovers? Because they didn't do it in this game. They got, they got the one interception. They got a couple of sacks. But giving up 34 points is very unlike them, especially against an offense that was not going into it with this full plethora of weapons. And we'll continue on with our conversation with Chicago Bears. Mr. Trubisky was solid except for the fumble. Now, here's my big concern. As much as Trubisky's a bum, they need to move on from him after this season. My concern is that because they wound up losing this game in the way that they did, which is mostly accredited to a Trubisky fumble at the end of the game, I'm really worried that they might go back to Nick Foles. And the reason I'm really, really concerned about that is because this offense, especially from a fantasy standpoint, is so much better with Mitchell Trubisky. Because guys like David Montgomery actually have a chance to perform. 17 carries, 72 yards, and two touchdowns in today's game. Not to mention, and I don't know why Cordell Patterson was as involved as he was. I, I got to see bits and pieces of this game. I didn't watch it all the way through. I will go back and watch it all the way through. Like I do all the games on Game Pass throughout the week, especially before our preview shows come out, so I have more of, a, uh, more of an idea of exactly what was going on and happening. But Cordell Patterson had 10 carries in this game. 59 yards, and he had a rushing touchdown in his own right. He was very good running the football. In fact, he was even more efficient than David Montgomery was. Again, why he had that many carries, I'm not 100% sure. The good news is is that David Montgomery still had more of the passing down work, which is kind of ironic being that Cordell Patterson's the ex-receiver. But four catches, 39 yards, and four targets for David Montgomery. The point is with Montgomery, though, is that with two games with Mitchell Trubisky and plus matchups, he's been able to take advantage and have huge fantasy days. Allen Robinson, six catches, 75 yards, seven targets, had the big two-touchdown performance last week. He has been more fantasy-relevant since Mitchell Trubisky has taken over in the last two games. If you have these guys, and you want to lean on a David Montgomery especially throughout these playoffs, because kind of like the Tennessee Titans, they have a really nice schedule the rest of the way. You want to lean on Allen Robinson. You want to have Mitchell Trubisky being the starting quarterback. So them actually losing this game in the fashion that they did should leave a little nasty taste in your mouth where you have to kind of cross your fingers and hope they decide to stick with Mitchell Trubisky. Because the second Nick Foles comes back in that game, this offense goes back to being completely putrid. Completely putrid. Because he doesn't offer anything as a way of mobility. There's not an extra element to have to defend. There's not extra running lanes for David Montgomery. So hopefully, for Montgomery and Al Robinson, fantasy owner stakes out there, Trubisky continues to be the starting quarterback. And if they do, then you can continue to play them with confidence that they are going to pay dividends in these plus matchups for you. As far as Detroit Lions side of the ball goes, I'll tell you who another quarterback who's going to be on my streaming radar, and that's going to be Matthew Stafford. 400 yards and three passing touchdowns. The offense has never looked more aggressive than it did in this game at any point this season, which I expect that to only continue with Bevel as the interim head coach. There was, without question, a different atmosphere around the Lions players in this game. 
even when they were down by multiple scores, it still seemed like the Lions were actually having fun playing. And it wound up leading them to actually winning this game at the end of it. But most importantly, Matthew Stafford looked like he was allowed to be Stafford again. Looked like he was allowed to be aggressive again. 400 yards and three touchdowns against this Chicago Bears defense, which, like I said, I know they haven't played well the past couple of weeks, but this is not an easy defense to go against. Kenny Galladay was spotted doing sprints earlier on today. If he's able to start sprinting around in pregame warm-ups, even though he wasn't going to be active for the game, then the the idea, the notion from last week that Kenny Galladay could be still progressing, could be still nearing a return from Dave Burkett, possibly in Week 14, seems more on the table. Now, of course, we'll know more throughout the week, and make sure you're following us on social media, at BellyUpMDFFShows. We'll keep you up to date on that. But if Kenny Galladay is going to return, and there's this newfound life in Detroit, this newfound offense with Matthew Stafford, this newfound aggression to getting back to the way things used to be with this team, especially offensively, Give me pieces of that. Give me Matthew Stafford as a streaming quarterback the rest of the way. Hopefully DeAndre Swift's able to return. He can add his dynamic playmaking ability to this offense as well. In his stead, though, Adrian Peterson went for two touchdowns and 57 yards. He's a touchdown-dependent running back if you're looking at Adrian Peterson to play him in the stead of DeAndre Swift. So you have to feel good about the possibility of him getting touchdowns. Now, this one, he got you too, so he had to do a big fantasy day. Think of him as a Todd Gurley. There's no DeAndre Swift out there, basically. Marvin Jones had a huge day. Eight eight catches, 116 yards, a touchdown on 12 targets. TJ Hawkinson continues to have his high volume. Seven catches, 84 yards on nine targets in this game. By far the leading targeted receivers. Kenny Galladay, of course, will eat into that when he returns. And yes, I would play Kenny Galladay the second he comes back in your fantasy playoffs. In case you're wondering. Let's move on to the Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Jared Goff getting a bounce-back game in a big way. 351 yards and a touchdown in this game. Most importantly, especially from him from an NFL standpoint, no turnovers. Here is the big narrative of the day when it comes to the Rams, though. and It's not Jared Goff. It's not the passing attack. It's not the fact that he even won this game, at least not from a fantasy standpoint anyway. It's the backfield. Everybody and their mom who didn't actually watch this game is going to look at this box score. And they're going to see that Cam Akers had 21 carries for 72 yards and a touchdown. But most importantly, he had 21 carries compared to Malcolm Brown's three and Daryl Henderson's three. Daryl Henderson got hurt in this game. And he missed a decent chunk of it, too. He got labeled a knee injury. He was able to come back in. He actually scampered for the last touchdown of the game. for 30. He actually had a 38-yard touchdown in this game. Now, Cam Akers was, played fine. He played fine. He didn't play great, though. Only 3.4 yards of carry in this one. He had the nice physical touchdown run earlier on in the game. Had one catch for 22 yards. But even with Daryl Henderson banged up, he was still able to look more explosive when he actually touched the football. And he still had more work in the passing game. This... You talk about the theme of this show is not overreacting based on one game. That's the theme of today's show because this is another example of that. Do not, do not overreact to this and suddenly start to think to yourself that Cam Akers is now the lead back of this three-man committee starting next week. Do not make that mistake. Daryl Henderson hurt his knee. 
and missed a decent chunk in the middle part of this game. Came back in at the end for a 38-yard touchdown, meaning we expect him to be back next week. He's still explosive. We still expect this to be a three-man committee. Until someone gets hurt in a way that they're going to actually miss games, you are still not touching a Rams running back in your starting fantasy lineups. I cannot stress that enough. Do not overreact to this game. Cam Akers did not take over the job in case you did not see this game. It was circumstantial. Now, here's what I will say. As far as the three-man rotation goes, the odd man out is more and more becoming Malcolm Brown. That much we can take away, but that's it. As far as receivers go, Robert Woods, 10 catches, 85 yards, 11 targets. Cooper Cup, 8 catches, 9 targets, 73 yards. They continue to have a high volume. They do. They continue to have a high volume. Gerald Everett had seven, has 7 targets in this game as well, 6 catches, 44 yards. I'm still not touching a tight end, even though Tyler Higbee, who's the one who had the touchdown, didn't have as impressive a stat line as far as receptions and yards go, still had six targets, only had one less target than Gerald Everett. They're still playing at the same clip, essentially. And Tyler Higbee, who's playing a lot more, is still ultimately seeing about the same amount of opportunities as Gerald Everett is. Your pass catchers are Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And while neither one of them had big games here, they both had good games here. And bounce back to some degree, from the, from the San Francisco 49ers a week ago. When you're going to these fantasy football playoffs, you're expecting high floors out of Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. If one of them gets in the end zone, great. You're going to have a great day. But you're expecting high floors out of them. You can continue to expect that as such out of them moving forward. Let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray getting back on track to eh, some degree. Had three passing touchdowns, so that's what you like to see most in this game. But still only 173 yards, and that's off of 40 pass attempts. Only 173 yards. Now, this is a good Rams defense, but still. And they only ran for 15 yards. So while it was a decent day and a little bit better than what he's given you the past couple of weeks, it still was not a Kyler Murray day. And this is what I'm talking about with some of these quarterbacks cooling off now. DeAndre Hopkins got back involved, at least. Eight catches, 52 yards, did get a touchdown, 13 targets in this game. That's the big number because it's been a few weeks since DeAndre Hopkins has gotten double-digit targets. Part of that, like I said, I think has to do with Kyler Murray's shoulder. The other part of that is that it just Cliff Kingsbury at times has not made sense with his play calling this year. DeAndre Hopkins, especially with the weapons that Arizona arguably either has or doesn't have, depending on how you want to look at it, should be getting at least eight targets, probably double-digit targets every single week. It shouldn't even be a question whether or not DeAndre Hopkins is getting double-digit targets. Shouldn't even be. So it was good to see him at least get back to being involved in that sense. Kyler Murray did look like he took some strides with his shoulder. Maybe there's a chance he can get back on track, but the big thing is that they haven't been using him with his legs. Teams are doing a good job defending it, but they got another tough matchup coming up against the San Francisco 49ers, and while you have to play Kyler Murray, I don't think you can expect the same top five ceiling out of him. So something to kind of keep your eyes on here to see if he kind of can get back on track. Outside of that, Kenyon Drake came up with a decent fantasy day because he had the touchdown, 49 yards on the ground, the touchdown, two catches, nine yards on three targets, only 10 carries. Now, the Cardinals were down pretty much the entirety of this game and had to come back, and they were doing a lot of passing with Kyler Murray. Like I said, he had almost 40 pass attempts. 
because he got you a touchdown, you're not going to complain. But that seeing that little volume out of a guy who's really been volume dependent most of the season definitely leaves you a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. But better days, I do believe, are ahead for some of these guys on the Arizona Cardinals. Let's move on to the big upset of the day. Let's talk about the New York Giants and Seattle Seahawks, which is why the Rams are now able to take over first place. The New York Giants go on the road to the West Coast, to Seattle, and win with no Daniel Jones, 17-12. I mean, this game was terrible from a fantasy standpoint, unless you had Wayne Gallman, 16 carries, 135 yards on the ground. Shockingly enough, one of my big things about Wayne Gallman, why I liked him so much this week, is that I thought, I thought, with Colt McCoy being the quarterback, who has is notorious for checking the ball down, I thought Wayne Gallman would actually be heavily involved in the passing game. He didn't receive one target in this game. You know who did, though? Alfred Morris. Alfred Morris, not only did he have a receiving touchdown and a reception at that, which is something we haven't seen in a while, but he also had a rushing touchdown in this game. He had eight carries, 39 yards, and a rushing touchdown in this game. Unbelievable. But Wayne Gallman, and we talked about this heading into the show, uh, heading into the matchup on Friday, Devontae Freeman, he got sent to the season-ending IR. Wayne Gallman's going to be the guy for the rest of the season. And while this is the first game since he's taken over for Devonta Freeman that he didn't score, still at 135 yards, Wayne Gallman's become an RB2 since he's taken over as a starting running back. And consistently at that, making him pretty much, even in your fantasy playoffs, a must-play the rest of the way. The offensive line, which I knew was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen because they had too much young talent on that offensive line. They're starting to come together. And you're seeing it with the holes getting created with Wayne Gallman. You're seeing it with the line of scrimmage actually getting pushed for the Giants. And it's leading to their rushing attack finally getting going. Could you imagine... At this point in the season, with the way the offensive line is playing now, what Saquon Barkley could be doing? Now, I, I know that might be some salt in the wound for some of you Saquon Barkley owners out there, but it just got me thinking of Wayne Gallman's been able to have the success that he's had, and even Alfred Morris, who comes in and spells him for about 35% of the work, they've been able to success that they have because his offensive line is finally starting to develop and mold into what the talent level should be. Here's what I will say. Even if you got burned on Saquon Barkley this year, and even though he's going to be coming off of an ACL next year, Barkley's going to be very intriguing to me if this offensive line is going to continue to play like this and develop moving forward. Because this could be the next offensive line in the NFC. You had the Cowboys for a while. You had the Eagles for a while. The next best offensive line might be the New York Giants. With Saquon Barkley as the running back. It's going to be very intriguing to watch next season. Just something to kind of keep your eyes out to the future. But Wayne Gallman is an RB2 the rest of the way with the way they've been playing. Now, Colt McCoy only threw the ball 22 times. Because the Giants were able to keep this game close with their defense, the game script never really got away from them. So they were able to pound the ball a lot, try to control the clock, and they didn't have to come back from behind. So Colt McCoy only had 22 pass attempts. With those 22 pass attempts, the targets went to Evan Ingram, the targets went to Sterling Shepard, and then a few targets got sprinkled into the Golden Tate. Darius Slayton, as you would expect with Colt McCoy, is just he's not fantasy relevant. He's, first of all, he hasn't been that great this season anyway. I do expect to bounce back from him once they actually get a real quarterback, and yes, that means moving on from Daniel Jones, which is something I think they need to do. But Sterling Shepard 
only had one catch for 22 yards on those six targets. Evan Ingram only had four catches, 32 yards on those eight targets. Those are the guys who are going to get targeted if Colt McCoy is going to play. So just kind of a little tidbit there. Uh, I do think they're going to have better performances than this. I do think there's going to be more games this season where the Giants actually have to come back from behind, and therefore they'll have to throw the ball more than 22 times. But those are where the targets went to, just to give you an idea. Because we we're not 100% sure when we're going to see Daniel Jones. I think they're hopeful that he comes back next week. But they were hopeful he was back, going to be back this game. We'll see when he's able to get back. The important thing to know is where the value is, as long as Colt McCoy is the starting quarterback. Let's switch over to the Seattle side of the ball, because there's a couple things we got to break down here. First and foremost, again, another quarterback, Russell Wilson, who's just in a bit of a slump right now from a fantasy standpoint. 263 yards. One passing touchdown and interception did tack on 45 yards on the ground. Again, a guy that you have to continue to play, your quarterback, you're not going to bench him. But those big performances, especially had early on in the season, they can't be within your expectations when you're putting together your roster construction. And what I mean by that is, I had some questions about this, and like, well, your roster's your roster. I mean, you're, you're, you have your studs and you're starting them and it doesn't really change. Well, it can. Find yourself in a situation where you're looking at a wide receiver three, you're looking at a flex position, and you're not sure if you need to try to go for the throat. You're not sure if you need to go for a ceiling play or if you just need to play it safe and get a guy that you know is going to get you a few points. The difference in that could be what your expectation from your other players are. So, for instance, if you have the correct expectation on Russell Wilson right now, which is not to be a top three quarterback, but to be a QB1, but not be a top three guy, then when it comes to that extra wide receiver, comes to that flex, you might say, hey, you know what? I need to take more of a boom option, more a player who has maybe more, a better higher ceiling, even though he might have more of a risk in his floor because I don't have a top three quarterback like I thought I had earlier on in the season for that big boom there. So that matters. Having the correct, even if your lineup itself is not going to change with these players, even if you're not going to bench them, having the correct expectation on these players goes a long way in setting the rest of your lineup. Right now, Russell Wilson, you cannot have the expectation that he's going to give you a top three or even maybe even a top five performance in any given week right now. DK Metcalf, five catches, 80 yards on eight targets. Tyler Lockett was actually targeted once more. He had nine targets in this game, six catches, 63 yards. He actually left the game for a little bit to get uh, uh, looked at for a possible concussion. He was able to come back in. So we, we feel pretty good about his prospects next week, at least. It's just a shame with Tyler Lockett. He just continues to have these average games, really. Uh, but in this one, the Giants' defense played so well. And DK Metcalf, five catches, 80 yards, you know, solid game. Didn't lose you the week, but not a big one either. You're not really going to hold this one necessarily against Tyler Lockett. I think he's still somebody that you have to play. There's a big question on him right now, which is because it's only been one game now in six that he's been a big-time fantasy producer for you, you're going to start to ask yourself the question, do you continue to play Tyler Lockett because you know you have to continue to play him in order to hit on those big weeks? Or do you have to sit there and you oh, you know what? I can't afford his possible low floor anymore. Even if it means I miss out on a ceiling game, I can't sit here and you know afford only these 60-yard performances out of him and still think I'm going to be able to win. It's a legitimate question you're going to have to ask yourself. We're still going to have Tyler Lockett ranked as a wide receiver too and a high-end one at that because of his potential ceiling Almost every single week. So we're still going to have Tyler Lockett as somebody that you need to have in your starting lineups. But I get the question. 
especially when we're getting the fantasy playoffs, where it's just a one-week game. You know if you make one wrong decision on that week, it could be all over. And it doesn't necessarily matter what these guys' value has been through you throughout the season if you know they've been inconsistent. If you're looking at that lineup and you think to yourself, if he's inconsistent this game and it's all over for me, then you know, continuing to play him for that ceiling potential at some point it can, be, can be neither here nor there. My advice to you would be this. Tyler Lockett is still somebody you're going to have to play in your lineups. He's still a very good wide receiver. And the Seattle team, that continue to play the way they've been playing, are going to have to be in more situations where they need to come back from behind. Here's what I'll say from an analysis standpoint of what their offense has looked like over the past few weeks since we've seen Russell Wilson kind of cool down a bit, and we've seen Tyler Lockett cool down as a result as well. Ever since Pete Carroll has made this conscious effort to say, we need to get back to being a balanced offense, to some degree that was true because they were becoming very one-dimensional. But in other ways, they've kind of lost their identity now. Their identity was making big plays in the passing game with Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. They had an identity. While they definitely needed to be a little bit more balanced out, and Chris Carson being healthy with that goes a long way, their identity can't be a 50-50 balanced run-pass ratio team. It's not what they're built to be. They're built to be explosive. They're built to be high-scoring. And I think in the result, the past few weeks, they've kind of lost their identity. And I do worry some degree as far as the passing attacks concerned, that will continue and only continue to get worse as Chris Carson gets healthier. I mean, the first thing they came out and said today was that, well, Chris Carson's still not 100%. We're still trying to work him back in. Well, you could have fooled me. Now, yes, he only had 13 carries in this game, but Carlos Hyde only had two. It wasn't close as far as what the split share was, where like last week we had Carlos Hyde out carrying Chris Carson. It wasn't even close this week. 13 carries to two. 13 carries, 65 yards. Five yards a carry. Pretty good there. The big thing is that he still had the big fantasy day. Three catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown on six targets. So he was significantly involved in the passing game. And that touchdown gave him a big fantasy day. Because he got over 100 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. So as Chris Carson gets healthier, are you going to become more and more of a 50-50 split team? And if you are... Guys like Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, their ceilings are going to have to come down a little bit. But they're also losing their identity as a result of that, which is making the entire offense a little bit more inefficient than it should be. And I have to give a lot of kudos to the Giants defense. They've been playing much better as of late, and they really stood on their heads in this game, too. We definitely have to give them credit for that one. Moving on to another NFC East team, Philadelphia Eagles, Green Bay Packers. Packers you know, taking care of business easily at home. The big story, of course, is going to be that Jalen Hurts didn't come in for just two plays, actually came in for a benched Carson Wentz. Not a hurt Carson Wentz, a benched Carson Wentz. It finally happened. And while people are going to look at this and they're going to say, well, Jalen Hurts had the passing touchdown, he was still only 5 of 12. Carl's, uh, Carson Wentz was 6 of 15. For 79 yards. He had no touchdowns. But he also had no interceptions. Jalen Hurts, 5 of 12 for 109 yards, a touchdown, and a pick that ended the game. Hurts was sacked three times. Wentz was sacked four times. Statistically speaking, they were pretty similar. It wasn't like Jalen Hurts came in and lit the world on fire. Now, some people want to say at first when he came in, there was a little bit of a spark because they finally started to move the ball a little bit. I would say 
he really didn't play much different. Who the starting quarterback is going to be, who knows? Doug Peterson didn't want to say after the game. And I don't think Hurts played well enough for it to definitely be him. Not saying it's not going to be Hurts next week over Carson Wentz after the benching, but what I am saying is that he didn't play well enough to definitively solidify that it should be him moving forward. Do not forget money talks. Carson Wentz has a lot of guaranteed money coming to him for the next two years with the Philadelphia Eagles under his contract, especially next season. I find it very hard in my mind that because Jalen Hurts did not light the world on fire, that they wouldn't turn around and give Carson Wentz another chance starting next week. Because money talks in these situations. So I don't know if we're truly going to see a changing of the guard at quarterback. And if we do, Carson Wentz will become the most expensive backup ever in football. And that's why I kind of question it. Had Jalen Hurts came in and lit the world on fire, then there would have been a much more of an argument to be made that Jalen Hurts will be the guy moving forward. Because he did not, it's hard for me to imagine that will really happen. Especially since the Eagles are in a situation where they're probably not going to be able to move on from Carson Wentz next season. So that's what's going on there. From a fantasy standpoint, you just stay away from the quarterback situation. And unfortunately, you kind of have to stay away from the pass-catching situation too. Now, what I will say is a lot of people have their eyes on Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz coming back, what was going to happen. Dallas Goddard was the lead target on the day. He had seven targets, and not just between him and Zach Ertz, but all the pass-catchers, Dallas Goddard led the way. Five catches, 66 yards. Zach Ertz was the third most targeted player, four targets, two catches, 31 yards. Greg Ward, five targets, three catches, 57 yards, and a touchdown. That touchdown coming from Jalen Hurts, of course. I'm going to roll with Dallas Goddard because he's had three good games in a row, and finding a tight end who can actually perform on a consistent basis is hard to come by. And even with Zach Ertz in the lineup, we do know that the Philadelphia Eagles will feature their tight ends. Outside of that, I don't know how you trust a pass catcher for the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Not when you don't even know who the quarterback is going to be. And then we flip the page, go to Miles Sanders. A game against the Green Bay Packers for a running back, especially a running back who's supposed to be good, is money in the bank this season. 10 carries for 31 yards. And what makes it even worse is that he had one target, no receptions in this game. Miles Sanders, you want to talk about disappointments? between the injuries and then not even performing all that well when he has been on the field, Miles Sanders is a guy you're going to be asking yourself, can you play? A lot of that having to do with this offensive line being horrendous this year. And and mostly due to being injured, but still, it's horrendous this year. If Miles Sanders can't get it done against Green Bay, I don't know how you're going to look at him as anything more than an RB3 than a flex play. Now, here, here's what I will say. If Jalen Hurts winds up being the starting quarterback, I do think that could open up some doors for Miles Sanders because Hurts is going, they're going to use him as an RPO option type of quarterback if he winds up being the guy the rest of the way, which means Miles Sanders will be the guy who actually becomes the focal point of the offense moving forward. So if you're a Miles Sanders owner, you are hoping Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback next week for the rest of the season, frankly. So that's something we will keep our eye on, and that is one player who would be greatly affected if there winds up being a changing at the guard of quarterback. But from a fantasy standpoint, it's hard to bench him 
because you know he's a lead back, you know what he's capable of, but he's just not involved in every aspect of the game. And because that offensive line is horrendous, it's kind of watch. It's kind of like watching Giovanni Bernard out there. Where it's like, listen, unless you're going to get five to seven targets, I don't know what you can actually give me from a fantasy standpoint because I know it's not going to be good on the ground because there's nowhere for you to run in the first place. Let's talk about what is good for fantasy. And that's Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. That psh, You have that combination, which is very much very possible for a lot of people out there. You have been lighting the world on fire. 295 yards and three touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers in this game. Two of them going to Devontae Adams, who had 10 catches for 121 yards on 12 targets against Darius Slay, who's now gotten lit up by two elite receivers in a row. Now, Darius Slay is definitely not 100% healthy either. And he got knocked out a little bit in this game. But Devontae Adams just continues to dominate. Aaron Rodgers just continues to dominate. And what I think was maybe more surprising than anything, Aaron Jones had a great performance in this game. And it's not surprising that Aaron Jones has great performances, obviously, but I'm talking about in the sense of Philadelphia Eagles have not been a good matchup for running backs, especially on the ground. 15 carries for 130 yards and a touchdown in this game. Three catches, 18 yards receiving, but most importantly, what he was able to do on the ground, and maybe even more importantly than that, the fact that Jamal Williams, coming off of a game where they both had 17 carries and split the work down the middle, only had five carries in this one. Where maybe we're going to start to see Aaron Jones actually be featured as the lead back. And maybe they finally, from a physical standpoint, feel confident enough that he's not in the re-injury territory anymore from the calf issue that he had a few weeks ago. Which could mean big things in your fantasy playoffs when it comes to Aaron Jones at just the right time. Let's talk about our last game for today's show. New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Chargers, a game we do not have to spend much time on. A 45 to nothing blowout, mostly due to special teams and defense from the New England Patriots, who would have thunk it? Number one defense special teams of the week with what they were able to do. The touchdowns, the block kicks. Absolutely insano. The only thing we really want to talk about from a fantasy standpoint when it comes to the Patriots is this. Cam Newton continues to be a threat to run in touchdowns, and when he runs in touchdowns, he is a top 12 quarterback. 48 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, only 69 yards passing. (laughs) Jared Stidham, who had two completions on three pass attempts, and he came in when this game was all settled out, had 61 yards passing. He only had eight yards less passing than Cam Newton on the game. (laughs) That's just hysterical to me. Whatever Cam gives you with his arm is just the cherry on top. You have to hope that he's running, he's using his legs. And when he's using his legs, his offense is at its best. And he had two goal line touches, touchdowns in this one. He'll continue to be somebody where you know when you're playing him, you have to hope it's a situation where you feel confident that he's going to run. Because if he doesn't, the bottom can fall out on you. As far as the running backs go, we finally saw Sony Michelle get some action in this game. He had 10 carries. For 35 yards. Now, part of that, I don't think you would have gotten 10 carries had this game actually been close. I will say that. But there does there was clearly a plan to try to get Sony Michelle involved again into the offense. Damian Harris, though, still had the most carries, 16 carries, and he was actually efficient with his carries. 80 yards on the day, 5 yards a carry in this one. James White, after being involved last week, was not involved at all. 
Now, you could chalk it up to game script, but he didn't have one single carry in this game, three catches for a yard on four targets. If you want to look at it in this light, you can look at it this way. He was the second most targeted pass catcher on the game because Jacoby Myers had six targets, and then he had four. So if you want to look at it that way, James White was still involved in the passing game. But this was just a weird game that, frankly, you have to crumple up and throw out when it comes to your fantasy standpoint. That includes with what you got or didn't get out of the Chargers. Because you're going to look at the box score. You're going to see that Austin Eckler had eight carries to Kalen Balazs seven. It wasn't really a split going on between the two of them. It was a blowout sensation. Austin Eckler still had nine targets in this game. Not only turned the four catches 32 yards, but nine targets for your running back. You'll take it. Keenan Allen still had 11 targets in this game. Only five catches 48 yards, but you'll take it. The big thing was that Mike Williams had nine targets in this game, four catches 43 yards. You throw that out. You throw that out. That had That's 100% game script. If games are going in Chargers' favors, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, everybody else be damned. That's what the offense will be if things are actually going the Chargers' way or are closer. So I'm not going to take much out of this game. I'm not going to take much out of Justin Herbert going for 209 yards and two interceptions with no passing touchdowns. I'm not going to take much out of it. It's not going to stop me from starting Justin Herbert in my first round of my playoffs next week. Chalk this game up, throw it away. That wraps up the show for today. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back tomorrow with the Sunday night recap, the two Monday night recap games. Remember, we got two Monday night games. Yes, we will not be recapping the Tuesday night game. We don't have shows on Wednesdays. We don't record Tuesday nights to have them out Wednesday morning. But if anything significant happens, obviously, we'll cover it on Thursday from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network at WWSRN on social media and on your iOS apps as well. We'll be back again tomorrow at Belly Up MDFF Show on social media or on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to go. We are widely available to you guys. Everyone stay safe, be happy, and we'll talk to you then. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 